0: You may be seated. Thank you, Dana and helpers, for helping us to worship the Lord Jesus this morning. As you know, Brother Tom has been preaching on life's greatest questions. When I'm not here, I'm out preaching somewhere, but I've had the privilege of hearing two of those sermons, and I'm always pleased and amazed at the fervor and the deep biblical conviction with which my pastor preaches the Word of God, and these sermons have been indeed from the Lord. And he preached on the origin question. Where do we come from? Well, the Lord made us, and he made you. When you look in the mirror, he made you. The purpose question, the moral question. And he asked me if I would preach today on the destination question. In other words, where are you going to be? Where am I going to be immediately after our death? And you do know that you're going to die, right? Shake it this way. It is appointed unto man once to die. And by the way, the word there is the word anthropos, which means men and women. It is appointed unto men and women once to die, but after this, the judgment. So again, I ask, where will you be immediately after death? A week ago yesterday, on the 13th day of January, the folks who live there, And thousands of tourists in Hawaii, at about 12 minutes after 8 local time, on the 13th of January, the telephone buzzed or binged with a text message, and everybody with a smartphone saw these words, ballistic missile threat inbound to Hawaii, seek immediate shelter, this is not a drill. What would you do if you received that kind of message this morning? Suppose, suppose your smartphone went off with a text message while I'm preaching, and it read something like this. Ballistic missile threat inbound to Kentucky. Target... Maybe Fort Knox, maybe Fort Campbell, but likely to hit about halfway in between. What would you do? A friend of mine, a preacher friend and his wife, and his 85-year-old mother who is a preacher's widow, were among those who received the message, and he wrote about that. His 85-year-old mother, whom I know, was putting on her makeup to begin the day. And as calmly as if there had been an announcement that it might rain, she continued to put on her makeup. My conclusion is, knowing her, that she didn't even want Jesus to see her without her makeup on. His wife texted their two sons and told them what had happened, and said, If it turns out to be real, I'll see you in heaven. Keep on preaching the Word of God. And my friend himself said, I had an unusual peace. I felt and knew that whatever happened, Jesus had everything under control. And he would be with all of us. But what would you do? The BCM director at the University of Hawaii, in the BCM building, they opened it up, a part of it is underground, so it provided shelter, and in a matter of moments they had multitudes of students, many of whom had never been to the BCM before, And it gave opportunity, by the way, he is there, the building is there because of your giving through the cooperative program and the Annie Armstrong Easter offering. It's amazing the ways we reach out around the world. And he shared the gospel with them, and he thought, well, I'll take the time to text my parents in Oklahoma. But immediately he thought of a young Japanese, Japanese student with whom he had been sharing the gospel who had agreed to begin coming to Bible study, but he had never opened his heart to Jesus' salvation. And so he prayed fervently for that young Japanese student that whatever happened, he would still be alive and that somebody would lead him to saving faith in Jesus. Now my question is, to you and me, what would you do if you received a message like that? In a few minutes, well probably about 25 minutes, we will come to what we call the invitation. We call it that because that's exactly what it is. You're familiar with the invitation, Brother Tom always gives the invitation. But it's not Brother Tom's invitation this morning, it will not be my invitation. It is not primarily the invitation of Eastwood Baptist Church. It is God's invitation. So because it is God's invitation, I'm going to ask you when we come to this morning's invitation for you to do exactly what you would do if you knew your life was going to be over in a matter of minutes. In other words, first and foremost, if you don't know you'd go to heaven, that's what this invitation is for. Jesus said, if you confess me before men, I'll confess you before my Father in heaven. So I'm going to ask you this morning, if you're not sure that you know Jesus, you may be a church member, but you're not sure about that, whether you're saved or not. Or maybe you've never been to church before. Well, there's no seniority around here. So you can get saved this morning. First and foremost, if you don't know that you know Jesus, you make your way far. We're not going to pressure you or confuse you or rush you but we'll help you to know Jesus. If you need to make make a decision about church membership, if you've been saved and never been baptized, we'd like to talk with you about that. But this morning as we begin the invitation, I feel led to do it a bit differently. We're going to have the invitation, at least most of it, without any singing, without any music, and I'll give the invitation with heads bowed and eyes closed. Nobody's going to know who comes forward and who doesn't. Now, if you need to get saved, let's get that taken care of. But if you're up to date with the Lord, if you'd like to come and pray, that's fine. But I'm going to ask you to stand here at the altar this morning and ask the Lord for the salvation of the one person more than anybody else that you'd like to see saved. I thought of what that BCM director did. I think we need to do that. Ask the Lord for the salvation of the one person More than anybody else that you'd like to see saved, we're going to do it with heads bowed and eyes closed. Nobody's going to know who comes forward. I'll let you go back to your seat in the same fashion. It's not about that. But it's high time we got serious about praying for the lost. So I'm going to ask you to do that this morning. Turn with me in your Bible to 1 John chapter 5, and I want to make sure before we leave here today that everybody that God has given me the privilege of preaching to That there's not one single person of age and understanding that will leave here today without you being able to say for a fact if I were to die today January the 21st 2018 if I were to die today I know for sure that I'm on my way toward heaven first John chapter 5 and we'll begin with verse 9 the words will be on the screen but let's stand as we focus our attention On the Word of God John says verse 9 if we receive the witness of men the witness of God is greater for this is the witness of God which he has testified of his son now every one of us know to whom the scriptures referring when it talks about God's son like this but let's say it together it's talking about Jesus say it again Jesus He that believes on the Son of God, that's Jesus, has the witness in himself. And by the way, that's the Holy Spirit. He that believes not God has made him a liar. Wow. Because he believes not the record that God gave of his Son. And this is the record. That God has given to us eternal life. And this life is in his Son. He that has the Son has life. And he that has not the Son of God has not life. These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God that you may know. That you may know that you have eternal life and that you may may believe on the name of the Son of God. You may be seated. Everybody who does live or has lived exists today, right now today, in one of three places. And I want us to visit all three of those places this morning to be reminded of the answer to the eternal question. First of all, I want us for a few moments to visit hell. Now, I don't like to talk about hell. In fact, we usually simply joke about hell. A little girl was on the way to Sunday school to church one morning, years ago, had her Bible in her hand, and a skeptic thought he would have some fun. And he said, sweetheart, where are you going? She said, I'm going to Sunday school. He said, what are you going to do there? She said, I'm going to learn the Bible. He said, do you believe the Bible? She said, of course I believe the Bible. He said, you believe all the Bible? She said, mister, I believe all the Bible. He said, do you really believe, for example, the story of Jonah? Do you believe Jonah was swallowed by a big fish? Spent three days and three nights in the belly of that big fish, and then when the fish vomited him out, he was okay? Do you believe he lived in the belly of that fish? She said, yes, sir, I do. He said, how could that possibly happen? She said, I don't know, but when I get to heaven, I'm going to ask Jonah. He said, what if you get to heaven and Jonah's not there? He said, then you can ask him. (laughs) Now, we usually just kind of joke about hell. I have preached a sermon that God gave me when I was in the first six months of my first pastorate, which has literally been the foundation of my evangelistic ministry. The last time I counted, I have preached it about 975 times, probably a thousand by now. I will begin revival meeting the Lord willing next Sunday morning. I probably will preach it about Tuesday night. I've preached it every revival I've ever preached in except two. I don't know that I can explain why I did not preach it in those two except they didn't know me very well. I just assumed they would think I was totally crazy. I don't worry about that as much as I used to, but I re- pe- folks say, well, yeah, I'm sure you love to preach that sermon. No, I don't. If I preach it Tuesday night, when I get through, I will be drained. And when I go back to the hotel, I will, I will lay down almost immediately, but the problem is after I've preached it, I can't go to sleep. I don't like to preach it. Well, why do you preach it? Because I don't want anybody who hears me preach to go to hell. Hell is real. So let's visit hell for a few moments this morning. I want to read a few words that describe hell. It's found in Luke chapter 16. Follow with me and I'll read quickly. Verse 19. Words are on the screen. There was a certain rich man which was clothed in purple and fine linen and fared sumptuously every day. And there was a certain beggar named Lazarus which was laid at his gate full of sores and desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores. And it came to pass that the beggar died and was carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom. That's the Jewish reference to heaven. The rich man also died and was buried. And in hell he lifted up his eyes, being in torments, seeing Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom. And he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. But Abraham said, Son, remember that you in your lifetime received the good things, and likewise Lazarus evil things, but now he is comforted and you are tormented and beside all this between us and you there's a great gulf fixed so that they w- which would pass from here to you cannot neither can they pass to us that would come from there and he said i pray thee therefore father that thou would send him to my father's house i have five brothers that they may testi- that he may testify unto them lest they also come into this place of torment Abraham saith unto him, They have Moses and the prophets, let them hear them. And he said, Oh, no, Father Abraham, if one went unto them from the dead, they will repent. And he said, If they hear not Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, though one rose from the dead. Now I want you to notice some things that are mentioned here very quickly. Some things that are in hell. Pain is in hell. Torment. He uses that word. The rich man uses that word over and over again. I am tormented in these flames. Now some Greek scholars are going to say, Brother Don, You realize the word for hell here in Luke chapter 16 is not the bad, bad word for hell. It's not the Greek word Gehenna. It is the word Hades, which literally means the abode of the dead. And you are right. But why does it use Hades instead of Gehenna? Because as inconceivable as it is to you and me, it's going to get worse. At the great white throne judgment, gentle Jesus, who died for him and her as much as he died for you and me, will say, Depart from me into the lake of fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. And don't miss that last statement. Jesus never intended that you die and go to hell. Jesus died for you, and he's not willing that any should perish, including you, but that all should come to repentance. But it is a place of pain, Jesus said, where the fire never dies. Again He said, And shall cast them into a furnace of fire, there shall be wailing and gnashing of teeth. Again He said, A furnace of fire, weeping and gnashing of teeth. And then He said, Where their worm does not die, and the fire is not quenched. And then it says in Revelation fourteen ten, he will be tormented in fire and brimstone. The next verse says that it is both eternal and irreversible. Now nobody ever loved that lost sinner who dies and go to hell like Jesus did, and yet gentle Jesus warns that hell is a place of perpetual pain. Now notice that statement. He says the worm, their worm, dieth not. That's a strange statement to many of us, but maybe even as far back as Jesus's day, one of the sayings that I grew up around was "squirming like a worm in hot ashes." You ever heard that? Uh, that's the reference here. But the worm who's dropped in hot ashes squirms, squirms all about, but eventually it quits. But in hell, it never, ever stops. It's a place of pain. It's a place of regret. Every person in hell today is saying to himself over and over again, I could have been saved. I could have gotten saved. If I'd asked Jesus to save me, he would have saved me. And you know what? He and she are right. He remembers every sermon he's ever heard. Every time some, if he didn't didn't go to church, every time somebody said a good word about Jesus. Every time a friend, a co-worker a fellow student invited them to Sunday School and Worship. These are remembered with regret in hell. Another word is hopelessness. With every beat of our heart, we have by our creation hope. When I get sick, I think I'm going to get well. But in hell, tomorrow will not be better than today. Helplessness. In hell and can't do anything about it now I've often wondered why in this story that Jesus emphasized that the man who died and went to hell was a rich man hear this preacher clearly you don't go to heaven or you don't go to hell because you're rich you go to heaven only because you're saved and there are a lot of rich folks that get saved and praise God for that but why does he emphasize that his rich man to emphasize to you and me That throughout his life he could buy anything he wanted and now he can't even buy a drop of water he's begging for a drop of water to be placed on Lazarus's finger to be placed on his tongue and even that was not has not and shall never be granted today when this service is over you will go home or you will go to a restaurant and you may drink water that's healthy or you may drink a diet coke like I will Or you may drink sweet tea like we Southerners know how to do. It's abundantly available. There's even a water fountain right outside the door. After I preached this sermon, I went out and drank a barrel of it a while ago. There's water out there. But in hell, there's not one drop. Not one drop. Why does he emphasize that Lazarus was a poor man? I mean he ate the crumbs he ate the garbage from the rich man's table he didn't go to heaven because he was poor poor people go to hell poor people go to heaven rich people go to hell rich people go to heaven it's not about that but he was emphasizing the fact that Lazarus he's a winner he didn't have much but he surely has everything now loneliness this man in hell it's lonely. And he thinks about his father's house. There are no friends in hell. Nobody trusts anybody in hell. But by the way, he doesn't want his friends there. He doesn't want his brothers there. which at least send back Lazarus? I've got five brothers. I don't want my brothers down here. And surely if lost people don't want their brothers and sisters and their friends in hell, surely those of us who are saved don't want ours in hell. Send back Lazarus. And Abraham said, they've got uh, Moses and the prophets. If they won't hear them, they wouldn't hear if Lazarus went back. In fact, they won't even hear if one be raised from the dead, wow, you and I live on this side of the cross where the one, the Savior, has been raised from the dead. It's a place of loneliness beyond description, but also for the first time in his life, he is concerned about his five brothers. That's what I'm going to ask you to do this morning to pray for one lost person more than anybody else that you'd like to see saved. It is merciless. It is graceless. Jesus also told the story of a publican who went into the house of God. You remember that story. And the publican beat upon his breast and said, God, be merciful unto me, a sinner. And he went away from God's house justified. But no mercy like that available in Now, let me come to the good part, the contrast. Let's talk for a few minutes about heaven. Now, let me be very clear at this point as we begin to talk about heaven. If you take this microphone and travel across Bowling Green and ask the question, How does a person go to heaven when he dies? Number one answer. Be good. In fact, people believe that good people go to heaven and bad people go to hell. That's half right. The fact is that based on human goodness, Good people go to heaven if they're saved and bad people go to heaven when they get saved right because none of us are good if it's based on my marriage I'd split hell wide open and you would too right all have sinned there's none righteous no not one how do you go to heaven well Let me read again what it says there in verse 11 and 12. And this is the record that God has given to us eternal life and this life is in His Son. He that hath the Son, then that's Jesus. He that has Jesus has life and he that has not the Son of God has not life. It's all about whether or not You and me, whether or not we know Jesus. But let's talk about heaven a minute. Well, let me read a passage about heaven. Turn over to Revelation chapter 21. Again, the words will be on the screen. Revelation chapter 21, verse 1. John writes And I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth were passed away, and there was no more sea. And I, John, saw the holy city. Neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. And he that sat on the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said unto me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. It emphasizes once again that you can trust what the Bible says about hell. You can trust what the Bible says about heaven. These words are true. Notice some some things here from Revelation chapter 21. Heaven is a place that is painless. Did you notice in verse 4? Neither shall there be any more pain. Life is filled with pain. You were born bringing pain. They say that when a mother gives birth to a child, it is a pain worse than death. I don't know about that, obviously, but your mother suffered that you might be here to give you life every day of our lives are filled with various kinds of pain there are some pains that are just awful beyond description I think of that word cancer brother Greg reminded us to pray for some folks who have the families of some folks who've gone to be with the Lord a number of them By cancer. We're trying desperately to find a cure for cancer. I don't know about here, I pray we discover one, but I know in heaven there is a cure, and there is no cancer in heaven. The second most awful thing I can think of is Alzheimer's. It's often called the long goodbye. In heaven, there will never be a long or short goodbye. And minds will be clearer and bodies healthier than you and I could have ever imagined. No pain in heaven. Then, there's hope in heaven. Well, there's no regret either. Let me mention that next. For God shall wipe away every tear from their eyes. Your eyes have been filled with tears. In giving up loved ones, in being disappointed in life, you have failed, you've been defeated. Things didn't turn out like you thought they would. But in heaven, gentle Jesus wipes away the tears from every eye. In heaven, there's hope. And by hope, I mean absolute assurance and experiencing the abundance of hope. Notice in verse 3, I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people, and God shall be with them and be their God. And there will be no more death, it says in verse 4, nor sorrow nor crying. In 30 years as a pastor, And as a family member, I have been there with others when all hope was gone. And then the funeral. And eyes filled with tears. It won't be anything like that in heaven. You won't be able to walk through a cemetery in heaven. It won't be one there. There will be no sirens that go off in the darkness of the night. All of that is left behind. And then there will be fellowship, perfect fellowship. Notice in verse 1, And I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth were passed away, and there was no more sea. Now I often wondered in teaching Revelation through the years, why does it make that statement? No more sea. I'm not a seagoing person. I go to the ocean occasionally, but I just walk on the beach. I'm not a, a seagoing person. I'm a lover. I like the flat land and for it to be dry. But why is it here? Remember where John was. He's out there on a little island, 25 miles in circumference, out in the middle of the Aegean Sea, a rugged terrain, He's out there for crimes that he committed. What crimes did he commit? Preaching the gospel. He's the last apostle. Had the emperor not been afraid of an uprising, he would have put him to death. But he's the last apostle, so he sentenced him out there where unwanted criminals are sent, cutthroats, murderers, robbers. That's where he was. Tradition says for 25 years he was pastor of the Eastwood Baptist Church in Ephesus, and now he's separated from the beloved people that he spent life with for 25 years. And I expect that John, out there on that island, his family's not there. He has no friends there. He longs to be back at Ephesus. I would imagine that he came out to the edge of that sea and looked as far again and again, looked as far as he could see. He probably had Ephesus on his mind when he got the whole book of Revelation because it says he was in the Spirit on the Lord's day. And he looks all the way as far as he can see, but his eyes won't see as far as Ephesus. All he sees is water, sea. I'll swim it. Well, he couldn't swim it. I'll build a boat. He couldn't build a boat. And in this passage, I believe the Holy Spirit, giving the word of the Lord, to John, slips in a personal word, John, you won't EVER AGAIN be separated from the people you love by the sea. There will be no separation between you and those that you love EVER AGAIN. So it says there's no more sea, or as I would say, no more separation. The Beloved One in Christ that you gave up this week, last week, this year, last year, Who died in Jesus if you know Jesus it is simply a temporary separation to be rejoined in heaven to fellowship forever and ever and ever heaven is a place of joy notice in verse 2 and I John saw the holy city in New Jerusalem by the way New Jerusalem is simply the capital of heaven it's a big big place and New Jerusalem is the capital city just like Jerusalem is the capital of Israel. Don't you let anybody tell you Tel Aviv is the capital of Israel. It's not. Jerusalem is the capital of Israel. Amen. And New Jerusalem is the capital of heaven. I, John, saw the holy city in New Jerusalem coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. I have performed about as many weddings as I have funerals, about 650 weddings. And in And all of those years of doing 650 weddings I never saw an ugly bride and only one or two narrow escapes I've never seen an <laughs> ugly, I've never seen an ugly bride and you haven't either the most beautiful sight I ever saw in my life was March the 24th 1968 3 o'clock in the afternoon on Sunday afternoon I preached at 11 o'clock that morning by the way Crazy, crazy, crazy. (laughs) When my beloved Sharon came down the aisle of Green River Baptist Church to be my wife, uh, my daughter's wedding was, well, it, it was at least a close second when I escorted her down the aisle and then walked up on the platform to perform her ceremony my point is I have never seen an ugly bride and you haven't either I believe God searched through all of heaven all of earth to come up with the choicest word that he could find to describe how beautiful heaven is and he said it's like a bride prepared for a husband now I know and you know that weddings don't always have the ending that they lived happily ever after. That's only in fairy tales and the Hallmark Channel, right? That's the only place. But in heaven, all that's pictured in the bride, everybody in heaven lives happily ever after. Now, let's talk about the third place. And the third place is here. Right now. Notice in verse 13 of 1 John 5, These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life, and that you may believe on the name of the Son of God. Now, if you've got your Bible with you, I want you to hold it in your hand right now. If you don't have your Bible with you, there's one on the pew in front of you. Reach up and put your hand on it. Do you know why that Bible was written? For two purposes. Number one, that you and others might believe on the name of the Son of God and His name is Jesus. That Bible was written so that you and others might know Jesus. And the second person, second reason, the second reason that Bible was written is as a result of your believing on Jesus, That you may know that you have eternal life it's not good enough to leave here today and say I think maybe I might go to heaven I hope I might go to heaven that's not good enough that's not good enough you need the assurance of knowing Jesus so you can pray for the lost so you can live a victorious life and so you can be used of the Lord. You need to know, and you need it for your own peace of mind and your praying power. You need to know that you know Jesus. Now, I said when I began that I was going to give this invitation, and it's now time to do exactly that. And I really believe. I'm not going to put pressure on anybody, and I don't want anybody around you to put pressure on you. It's up to you, because heads are going to be bowed, eyes are going to be closed. But I believe everybody in this building ought to respond. I really do. First of all, if you do not know for sure that you know Jesus, if you do not know for sure, therefore, that you'd go to heaven if you died today, January the 21st, 2018, there's a big, long pew right here, and a big, long pew right here. If you come and sit on one of these pews, somebody's going to come to you and we'll not rush you or pressure you or confuse you, but we'll stay with you and take the Bible and help you until you can leave here with the assurance that comes from the Word of God. You'll leave here knowing that you know you're on your way toward heaven. One of these pews, just come and have a seat. Now, you know you're saved, and there's some junk in your life, or you don't love Jesus like you ought to, then if you want to come to one of these steps here, it makes a good altar. Now for the rest of us. I'm going to ask you to stand right here in this altar. Just pick out a spot. If you want to kneel, that's fine, but I I believe it would be better if you just stand. And in a few minutes I'll ask you to notice where you're standing and I'm asking you this morning in behalf of my Lord, it's his invitation to go on record and ask God for the salvation of the one person more than anybody else that you'd like to see saved God answers prayer, right? Absolutely. He may want to use you. He may use somebody else. But go on record and ask God for the salvation of the one person more than anybody else you'd like to see saved. Now, I'm going to ask you two things. First, let's stand. Everybody stand.